Welcome to the Vita Foods Insights Podcast. Join us as we explore the latest in science and innovation, helping the global health and nutrition industry connect, develop, and progress. Today's host is Fraser Grice, conference producer. Hello, and welcome to the Vita Foods Insights Podcast. I'm pleased to be joined by Lorraine Aubert, who currently works as a Global Partnerships Manager at the Sun Business Network and Global Alliance for Improved Nutrition, our new charity partner. Thank you for joining me today, Lorraine. Thank you. So we recently heard a little bit about what the, the Sun Business Network is at the Vitafoods Virtual Expo the other week. Um, but for those, of those, for those listeners who weren't able to tune in, can you give us a bit of a background on the work that you do at the Sun Business Network and how that relationship works with the Global Alliance for Improved Nutrition? Um, yes, of course. So the Sun Business Network um, is part of a multi-stakeholder movement against malnutrition uh, that is called the Scaling Up Nutrition Movement. Um, so the idea was to see how you can look at all the key stakeholders um, of the food systems and then work together against malnutrition. And the Sun Business Network is the private sector branch of this movement. Um, and as such, it is co-hosted by two organizations, the UN World Food Programme and the Global Alliance for Improved Nutrition. So the Global Alliance for Improved Nutrition as a co-host um, and its general is working with the private sector, leverage its role um, to address malnutrition issues um, with a focus on the most vulnerable populations um, especially in low- and middle-income countries. And so the way the Sun Business Network operates is that um, we create networks in um, Sun countries, so governments decide to join the Sun movement, um, and then we build networks with uh, mostly private sector members in those countries to build the capacity of local private sector and to have discussions around the enabling environment for nutrition with uh, those stakeholders. We currently have around 15 networks, uh, mostly in Asia and Africa, and we're starting to launch some in Latin America. We also work with um, global companies. So we have 23 global members, companies that have their headquarters uh, mostly across uh, Europe and North America. And there we see how we can leverage their role to support um, these local companies in low and middle income countries. And with all of those stakeholders, we also work around global advocacy. So you have um, big summits around nutrition, um, where there are discussions about what the private sector should do, what the private sector can do, what is uh, the private sector impact around nutrition. And so we work with our members um, to explain the challenges, to also identify opportunities in these global advocacy events. Brilliant. And so why is it that the, the partnerships aspect of this is so important in tackling these issues as opposed to maybe more traditional ways of um, helping these issues such as funding and aid. Um, what is it specifically that the private sector can bring that other stakeholders perhaps can't? Well, one of the key issues, um, if you're looking at how you can address malnutrition, um, is that you have to involve a wide range of partners. Um, you have to involve the public sector because the public sector is making regulations, is looking at fiscal policies and very key um, factors for a functioning food system. You have NGO and international organization doing advocacy behavior change, but also providing food 
to the most vulnerable populations or emergency settings where you don't really have overactors um, able to do that. And then the private sector is part of all aspects of the food value chain. It grows crops, um, it will manufacture um, food, it also uh, takes care of selling the food, the transportation. So all these stakeholders are critical to food systems. But if you want to have impact, you need them to work together as much as possible. But just one example, if you have governance putting regulations in place and then you have a low, low rate of compliance from the private sector, it is not going to work. So you need them to partner together to think about um, the right systems in place, but to also make sure, um, you know, you, those are then implemented. And if you look at the specific role of the private sector, there are many ways that the private sector can improve um, access to safe, nutritious food. And uh, some of that is looking at business-to-business -business support. So the private sector is made of a variety of entities. You have big companies with um, lots of resources, technical expertise, but a lot of the private sector is made of small and medium enterprises. If we look at Africa, for example, 70 to 100% of the food is sold through SMEs. Um, and so if you leverage the expertise of these global companies to support these smaller ones uh, with less resources, for example, on how to market a product, how to fortify your food, how to package your food, you can really um, raise the capacity of those SMEs to provide safe, nutritious food. Companies are also um, very good at innovating. If you look also at the resources they have in their research and development budget compared to aid um, resources, for example, um, it's tremendous. They have a lot of opportunities. They have a lot of expertise. They have a lot of knowledge to provide innovation around food. If we just look at plant-based diet, for example, that has been a really growing market, especially in high-income countries, as a way to you know, address concerns around the environmental impact of food or, or the health impact of certain type of meat, um, you, you see that it's coming from the private sector. Um, and one of our example is workforce nutrition. The private sector is a major employer out there. Um, and so if those companies are providing um, healthy food at work for their employees, for their supply chain workers, if they're providing them with nutrition education, if they're enabling um, their staff to breastfeed um, while at work, it really makes a difference. Brilliant. And with the companies that you work with, what kind of, um, where are these companies on the supply chain? Are these um, farmers? Are these retailers? Um, what kind of companies is it that you, you actually work with then? Um, so it, it varies from one country to another, also because the type of um, local companies, the size of companies is different, but I would say mostly uh, food manufacturers um, at global level and at national level. And most of, uh, of our members are manufacturing food. Um, there um, are various levels of complexity in terms of food produce. So um, the food can be just fortified and sell. Um, the food can be um, highly manufactured. Well, go through um, a lot of transformation. So it's it's around a range, but uh, we're also looking at increasing actually um, our membership and the expertise there to other key stakeholders. I think often um, we underlook the role of retailers, for example, um, the way they sell the food, the type of food they sell is critical um, for better nutrition. 
Uh, you also have a lot of companies that are um, around the food systems for critical like logistics logistics companies, um, cold chain companies, and all of that are really key um, to have functioning food systems as well. When you're working with these companies, um, you've obviously got these larger companies that are helping out on these SMEs and low and middle income countries. But what kind of benefits do these um, partnerships bring to the, the companies that corporates um, that are participating in, in what you're doing? Um, so if we look at um, the business to business technical assistance, for example, that we've been working on um, for the, the companies that agree to provide technical assistance to local companies from low and middle income countries, that can be a way um, to gain knowledge around new markets. So if you are interested in, for example, starting activities, uh, operations in a new country across Africa, liaising with some local companies where seeing how they work um, is a good way to gain knowledge about that market. Um, one other area, and I think COVID-19 has really highlighted the importance of that, is I think companies really see the importance of having strong, resilient supply chains. Um, and so by building the capacity of potential suppliers in some settings, you are um, potentially improving your access to strong suppliers over time. And that's uh, obviously a benefit. Um, one other key area, I think, for for those companies to join this type of programs is the perception and the importance for consumers around social impact. Um, I think a few years ago, you had companies maybe doing uh, cash donations, in-kind donations to an NGO, and they would consider that is sufficient in terms of social impact. But more and more, um, the expectations are higher and People want to see changes in the core business. And so if you engage in partnerships like that, if you make commitments for global advocacy events, if you support a number of SMEs, you implement workforce inclusion programs, you show what type of company um, you can really be. And that is important for consumers. And can you give us uh, an example of a recent partnership uh, and the specific issue that you've helped um, to solve? Yeah, so for example, one, one partnership we did recently was around um, Transpad. So one thing we're seeing is that um, we used to focus on undernutrition for low and middle income countries. But increasingly, what we're seeing is a coexistence of overweight obesity and undernutrition in some countries. And so considering that, we looked at one specific area related to overweight obesity, which is trans fat. Trans fat is a harmful type of fat. Um, and the WHO set a target of global elimination by 2023. And what we're seeing is that in high-income countries, we're very close to achieving that goal. Um, and we're seeing companies that have basically almost eliminated trans fat from their food value chain. However, in low and middle income countries, we're not there yet in many, um, many areas. And so what we did is we work with the International Food and Beverage Alliance, um, a business association that gathers 12 of the biggest food manufacturers to see how they could share their expertise with local companies in Nigeria and Pakistan on how they can actually replace trans fat. So we work with local consultants to kind of map the situation, to understand what the replacement solutions are for those companies, 
Uh, and obviously, we looked at the local context, so um, the affordability, the cost um, implications of those replacement solutions. And then we organized workshops in both countries where you had experts from the International Food and Beverage Alliance kind of sharing their learnings on how to do that. Um, and we're looking at how we can now kind of scale up this um, project in other countries and how we can really work with those SMEs and local companies until they manage to get to uh, the elimination of trans fat in their food value chain. At this current in time, are there any specific types of companies that you're, you're currently working with or that you're trying to, to work with more? Um, so mentioned that a bit earlier, but I think the focus of, of our membership is food manufacturers and very key partners, and we want to keep working with them. But we also are looking at how we can work um, increasingly with retailers um, and how we can work with a wider range of experts. And it goes with what um, we're trying to do around leveraging the expertise of companies based in high-income countries to support um, those SMEs and local companies across Asia and Africa. Um, they have really broad technical assistance needs. And so we're looking at companies that are maybe a bit smaller, but have a niche expertise in some, in some aspects. So, for example, IT services are really critical for companies. Um, logistics, again, very important uh, for companies that want to operate in those settings. So that's where we're looking for um, in terms of new partnerships. And so would you ever look at um, domestic partnerships? So I know in some countries you may have a disparity in um, companies' size and, and wealth levels, but would you ever work with a, a company that's very profitable in, in one country and use them to partner with an SME in the same country to help them? Or is it more of a global focus that you, you have? So that's actually something we already do. So um, some of our global members, um, so if I take the example of Unilever, they are um, a partner at the global level, but they have also decided to join some of our country networks. And that's really, um, that's very good for all of us to have because it means when their local staff is involved, they have an understanding of what we're trying to do in this country because obviously all of our programs are really tailored to the specific nutrition challenges in the countries. So that's something we're trying to do. What um, One other area is that we're looking at working with national, key national or regional companies in those settings to see how they can also provide support to SMEs because they have this knowledge of the context. They know the challenges of operating in the systems, but they do have additional resources. So it's about finding those companies that are at the right timing point where they can provide technical assistance, they have sufficient resources to do so, but they also are um, very knowledgeable about the country original context. Absolutely. And I guess it makes, um, you know, the help they're giving a little bit more tangible when it's in a domestic setting as opposed to an international setting where it's obviously um, uh, quite a distant thing to, to be able to do. It is, but at, so it's a mix because if we're looking at some of the needs we hear a lot from our SMEs, one, um, for example, that comes across regularly is around marketing. So you're a small company, you're doing and you're receiving advice uh, from us about, you know, what kind of products are nutritious and you have this new nutritious product that you want to sell. 
um, it's very difficult for them to know where to start. Um, they often have limited resources for the marketing campaign. Um, and so they don't really know necessarily where to go um, beyond basically just their own networks. And so that is the type of resources that can be provided globally. Um, and we're looking at uh, tools with some of our global members on how you can run you can run a social marketing campaign um, with very limited resources, for example. But that then can be complemented by these global companies that also have a presence in those regions um, to see, well, the consumer's expectations in those settings will um, probably align better with those type of products. And you could do that as well with a national company. So it's, it's a combination of both. Uh, but you can be very relevant with global advice. You just have to target that to specific. Um, obviously, if you're providing um, very kind of high-level generic advice um, to, to SMEs, that, that is not going to be necessarily useful. Um, so it's really getting that combination right. Yeah, that really highlights the benefits of kind of doing both domestic and international work, I guess, then. Um, but yes, yeah, so I wanted to also, you mentioned it earlier, but I want to touch upon um, the work you're doing with malnutrition in the workplace. Um, and I know earlier this year, um, Chatham House, the UK-based think tank, um, published a report on the business case for investment in nutrition in the workforce. And I know that um, you know yourself and there's some business network were involved to some extent. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about this issue and, and how we're moving forward with it. Yes, yeah, so around two years ago, um, what we did is we edited our principles of engagement for our members and we added workforce nutrition in there. Um, and we did that um, because working with the GAIN workforce team that has been looking at evidence around workforce nutrition program, what we saw is that it is a real opportunity for companies to provide change on nutrition. So they estimate that around 58% of the world's population will spend one third of their time at work during their adult life. Um, so that's a tremendous opportunity for companies to really have an influence on um, those adults during those times. Uh, and looking at workforce nutrition programs, uh, the return on investment are estimated to be six to one. You are seeing reduced absenteeism, lowered accident rates, enhanced productivity, lower medical costs. So by really supporting companies, by sharing tools on how to implement a workforce nutrition program, helping to monitor results, um, helping to see how they can do that, not only at headquarters, but also in their offices and factories in other settings, we really think there is an opportunity here to reach more workers. And um, we're also seeing with some of our um, global members an interest to provide workforce nutrition programs, not only to their own employees, but also to supply chain workers, uh, increasing, again, the productivity uh, of, of those workers. Um, so the workforce nutrition programs um, are really a win-win for, for everybody. This, is, uh, this should be implemented by all. There is basically no negative impact of such programs. And is this just limited to lower and middle income, income countries, or is this a problem within um, higher income countries as well? So we're seeing that everywhere, and we've been. Um, what we did uh, around a year ago is we looked at best practices that our global members are implemented. And for example, if you look at a company like BSF, with most of their employees in Germany, uh, they did health checks with their employees. They they did um, test blood tests, 
and they discovered micronutrient deficiencies they had no idea their staff had. And we're talking about Germany. Um, so you're really seeing opportunities to really understand uh, the health status of your, your staff and ways to address that in all settings. Um, and with workforce nutrition programs, that's a key aspect because you need to make sure you provide solutions that are tailored to um, the context you, you can't address. Obviously, in low and middle income country, you will need to address um, probably undernutrition more than in high income countries. But it is important to really understand the settings. And it's really important to do that in all aspects. Unfortunately, malnutrition is not a, a problem that is limited to one region. Um, I think rates of overweight and obesity, for example, are really a, concerns over, a concern all over the world. Um, so that's something companies are doing worldwide, and uh, we want to see them really implement that in all settings as, as much as possible. And so when you say implement workforce nutrition, for a company like BASF who found micronutrient deficiencies, how would someone like that uh, implement better policies um, you know, company-wide in comparison to how a company uh, in a lower uh, or middle-income country would? Um, so one of the key issues for, for companies, global companies like BASF um, and others, it's really to make sure basically all your employees have access to workforce nutrition programs. So if you're doing health checks, as much as possible, what you want to do is then make sure all your employees have access to that. And then what they did with the example of PSF is they worked with nutritionists about the type of food that then is provided at work. So it matches the deficiencies um, that they have found. And when you look at low and middle income country settings, the resources are not generally the same. You won't necessarily have nutritionists um, available to help with your canteen program. You might not have a can canteen at all. Um, you might not have um, the possibility to have health checks because you don't necessarily have doctors, nurses working for you as part of your main staff. So what um, we did is we have been using uh, a tool developed by GAIN around healthy food at work. And this is really um, basically a guidebook on how to start from scratch or how to improve what you have so that a company, a multinational company, can use that to see how they can promote workforce nutrition program in all settings. But a low and middle income company with maybe 15 employees um, and no structure existing and no expertise around workforce nutrition can also identify solutions that they can provide to their workers. So there really is a wide range of um, solutions available to companies, you know, along the different development stages, um, both in different countries and in, in companies, I guess. Um, and so finally, I just wanted to touch upon um, your sun pitch competitions, which uh, I know you recently held. Uh, I think it was earlier this year, which has been supported by some of your participating companies. Um, I just wanted to ask, what was the thought process behind this? Um, and do you have any future plans for uh, another one? Yeah, so we, we started this project um, because we wanted to address one of the key challenges that SMEs are facing. It's access to finance. Um, for SMEs that want to provide um, safe, nutritious food in those settings, it's really difficult to access investors. And so the idea of a sandpitch competition is to have national competitions um, with SMEs, you know, presenting their project, 
obviously related to nutrition, um, a selection of the winners. And then we have a global event. Um, this year we had 21 finalists where we work with the finalists to basically build their capacity to sell their project to also get a better understanding of nutrition. So we're sure that the products that we're promoting are all nutritious food. Um, and then to see how we can identify potential investors with them. Um, and the idea here is really to see how they can um, pitch their project efficiently. So how they can present a budget, how they can present their products, how they can explain um, their growth plan. Um, and make sure they basically have the tools to do that. And there is also an interest for um, some type of investors for this project because they don't necessarily know how to identify relevant SMEs uh, for funding. And um, while we finished the latest one fairly recently, it was uh, on the 31st of July that we did the global pitch competition. We're already looking at um, the next um, run with national competitions being planned in countries like Nigeria, Tanzania, Burundi, Pakistan and Bangladesh as an example um, and we're already looking at uh, the key activities to put in place those national competitions with potentially another global competition then next year. Loren, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast um, and hearing about all the work you're doing at the Sun Business Network um, so I'd like to thank you for your time today. Well, thank you. We're also very thankful for um, the overall partnership with Ida Foods. It's, it's a great way to reach more companies and to see how we can work with more partners uh, against malnutrition. Absolutely. And we're looking forward to a continuous uh, string of projects over the next few years with you. Um, and for those of you listening who would like to find out more, um, you can either get in touch with Loren directly at lober at gainhealth.org or you can visit their Sun Business Network uh, at sunbusinessnetwork.org. Or if you'd like to find out more about GAIN specifically, um, you can visit their website at gainhealth.org too.